everyone, it's Shuan here and welcome to our latest episode of Conversation Over a Cuppa. Today I'm really pleased to be joined by my friend Ross and I've written down exactly what I have to say for introduction. So his name is, in all its glory, Professor Ross Thompson. He's Director for the Centre for Applied Water Science as well as being the Director of the Institute for Applied Ecology. Did I get that right, Ross? You did, and thank you. Both of them, of course, at the University of Canberra. So. University of Canberra, <laughs> of course. So I'm having a chat to Ross today because I like talking to Ross, and as people know, I am a bit of a chatter. And I wanted to find out first how Ross, with his beautiful New Zealand accent, has ended up here in Canberra. So some people have referred to the New Zealand accent as an accident, and I think that might have been what you just accidentally did there. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, yeah, I've always said the New Zealand accent has uh, cancelled vowels because they were of little general interest. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was brought up in New Zealand. I was very fortunate to be brought up uh, on the Canterbury Plains and dominated by these beautiful braided river systems. And so for me, I was always out hiking and walking and wandering long rivers and, and seeing the world. Um, being um, reasonably good at biology at school, I was, of course, immediately brainwashed into doing medicine because that's all that most school career counsellors can understand. Um, so I moved to Dunedin to the University of Otago. Um, I survived a morning of medical school, uh, realised that I really didn't like sick people and that I was going to feel uncomfortable for my entire career. Uh, walked back towards um, the main campus from the medical school and there was the Department of Zoology at Otago. Uh, walked in and said, so can I turn my training to date into a, into a biology degree? And they said, well, yes, you can. And so that um, began my connection with, with water and doing water science. And I was very fortunate as an undergraduate student to be taught by just an amazing group of water scientists. Um, so led by Professor Colin Townsend, who was one of the co-authors on the Beacon Harper and Townsend textbook. And, you know, one of the silverback gorillas of the sort of water science field. Um, uh, but also some really um, amazing uh, other researchers who did lake ecology. Uh, Jerry Kloss, who many people know, a fish biologist, came and joined the group. And so there's an amazing group of, of freshwater scientists doing really interesting research right at the junction between the conceptual theoretical stuff, which has always fired me up, and the applied stuff. Um, and for a long time, I thought I'd go down the conceptual way and I did more mathematical type of research. Um, literally until I had a conversation in a pub where I was buying a beer and the guy beside me said, what did you do? And I told him and I could like watch him glaze over as I explained what I did. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, uh, maybe I want to save the world a little bit. And so from there, uh, it's began a journey into um, my honours and then my PhD uh, at Otago. Um, and what did you do your PhD on? Yeah, PhD was on effects of forestry, on forestry practices. Uh, New Zealand is one of the big producers of global pulp. It's uh, incredibly fast turnover crop, 30 years trees rotation. So I was working with forestry companies to try and develop management practices around streams, trying to understand impacts uh, and trying to reduce uh, impacts on streams. And that led uh, ultimately to a job in consultancy when I finished my PhD, where I was actually working with them to write codes of practice. Um, which was really, um, you know, first experience of, of really impactful science where you can go out and see what you've suggested happening on the ground. And that's incredibly satisfying. Mm. And, and, and just 
it's it's that appreciation that you get when you've actually worked as a consultant or works in government or worked as a researcher. I think that's one of the beauties and that my career is similarly a little eclectic and it actually enables you to appreciate the um, opportunities and the constraints that you have in different organisations. Uh, so after the forestry stuff, um, what happened then? What, what brought you across the ditch? Wow, and it was a circuitous way across the ditch. Um, I um, have always taken a, a particular pleasure in, in teaching undergraduate students and uh, having a room full of people who have to listen to me is a, is a particular source of enjoyment for me. Uh, You're so, for a podcast then. That's right. <laughs> but I literally got to the point where I was asking myself what I was missing in my consultancy job and I was really missing teaching. Um, and so I did a postdoctoral fellowship uh, at University of British Columbia uh, in Vancouver. Again, a place to remind you of how beautiful the natural world can be. Uh, there I was working on urban contaminants. Again, this sort of idea of um, can we understand anthropogenic stresses, human stresses on systems and, and how to manage them. Um, uh, that, that was an amazing experience. Uh, ultimately, I then started applying for jobs all around the world and not from any deliberate um, attempt, but ended up coming back to well, coming to Australia and working at Monash University where I was for seven years um, and had the great honour of working with the sort of generation of stream ecologists who were there at the time, uh, Barry Hart, Sam Lake, um, later on Jill Lancaster, um, Nick Bond, you know, some people who are just are really great ecologists. So, yeah, I got exposed in the very best way to learning about Australian systems from some of the people who really know those systems best. And have you got, um, like all over those, over those years, have you got a particular type of river or a critter that particularly excites you? I think that's possibly where I'm not as much like your typical biologist or ecologist. I'm really interested in systems. And, and increasingly, I guess I was really interested in ecological systems, so how do species join up? And then as my careers advanced, I've become really interested in how that, those systems connect to policy systems and social systems. And so I'm not a person who's really been strongly oriented by working on a particular thing or in a particular place. Things I like and I find really beautiful and I really enjoy them, but it's not what motivates my research. I'm interested in systems-level problems and then systems-scale solutions. So that's a, a beautiful segue into um, environmental flows because, you know, I've been in the industry for 25 plus years now and... The you last started when you were 12 years old then. Oh, I did, I did, that's right. Oh, flattery will get you everywhere. Um, <laughs> but over the last 10 years, I've been doing more in, in environmental flows and, and we're both working on this um, latest project with the Commonwealth Environment and Water Office. And the idea of integration and systems is just becoming more and more necessary um, in terms of environmental flow. So I was just wondering if you could reflect a bit on how you see your current work helping us develop that systems view and how environmental flows can um, be put into that systems thinking. Yeah, and I think, you know, I was probably still doing some more fundamental science. I was at Monash, which was more... I guess reductionist and focus. So you're looking at a single species or a group of species and uh, became involved working with Ralph McNally, who's a landscape ecologist. And, and Ralph, I think really opened my eyes to how limiting um, small scale studies can be. Um, and at the same time, got a chance to interact with the wonderful Peter Cullen, um, who was very generous at his time in, in terms of offering advice and mentorship to me. And 
So when the position came up, uh, which was Richard Norris's old position here at University of Canberra, I thought I want to be closer to the political networks um, and start to plug in those political networks into the things I understand about ecological networks. Um, I think the the strength of being a systems scientist as I am um, is that it's easier for me to pull myself up out of the detail and look across a big program of work and say, how can all of these things generate knowledge which feeds in together and creates a single integrated outcome? Um, so I think the nature of the way I think about systems um, is, is helps me do the work with the environmental water issue because environmental water is, it is that archetypal wicked problem. Um, the solution you get, you know, any, the, the best solution will essentially always make someone unhappy. There isn't a, an everyone's happy solution here. And nor is there even an optimal solution ecologically. Um, what you're trying to do is the best you can with the water you have. Um, and I think actually operating when you're very constrained that way has its own particular pleasure, trying to understand how you can be really efficient and effective at generating ecological outcomes, um, while at the same time not demanding huge amounts of water from the extractive sector, because you know that has its own set of social and economic costs. Um, so the systems thinking side of it really fits nicely with environmental flows. Uh, and as environmental flows is becoming a more sophisticated science, we're seeing even more of those connections being made. And I think things like connections between land clearance, invasive pest management, uh, other management regimes, and environmental water management are sort of coming together now. So that pitch is really becoming quite complex, but a really satisfying, interesting space to work in. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's always that tension, isn't it? it? That as humans, we want to try and simplify things just so that we can understand them easier. But in actual fact, the more you simplify, the more you realise how complex it is. And I know for, you know, in, in the social stuff that I do, I start, I often start off my conversation with saying, look, we're really messy. Don't expect humans to be organised and simple because we're just not, we're messy. And it's the same with these sorts of systems. Um, so, so with the current work in environmental flows, I'm interested, how would you go about explaining to someone who might not have um, a scientific degree or in, is even involved in environmental water management, how would you define what you are doing and why environmental flows matter? So we're really trying to understand how best to use a small component of the water that's in the system in order to maintain and enhance patterns of biodiversity, um, to support refugia during the really dry times, to support resilience or the ability to bounce back when those dry times finish, and really to maintain the set of ecosystem functions, so flows of energy, flows of materials, that support all those iconic species that Australians really care about. Um, whether they be river red gums, like the picture behind me, um, or Murray Cod, or our migratory water birds. So we need a healthy system to maintain those sort of iconic species and iconic places. Um, and so I'm interested in how we can use the minimum amount of water to generate the maximum amount of ecological return. Mm, okay. So I'm interested because a couple of times you've used small amount and minimum amount. And often, you know, that provides us with fuel for saying we need more, we need more. Do you think we need more water for environmental flows? There's a famous question that was asked at a meeting by a minister, which said, how much water does this river need really? And of course, the answer to that question as an ecologist is all of it. The river needs all of the water. 
um, and the ecological systems need all of the water. So the real question is how much are we willing to give the system? And as a society, what are we willing to give away knowing that we will be giving something away if we take water out of the system? So that it's a social and ecological question. Um, I think that the, water, the river needs more water to maintain the set of iconic systems we've got. Um, I also think it's very unlikely that we will get additional water and we're in the middle of a drying climate anyway. So how we can do more with what we've got and in fact more with less um, are the questions that I'm interested in engaging with. There is a whole political and social question around how we might enable a discussion that led to more water being made available for the environment. But that the blocking point to that is not ecological knowledge, it's a social and political process. Mm. Yeah, and, and look, it's one that, you know, we're, we're constantly being asked, you know, you need to communicate better. You, you need to be able to explain it better to people so that you can get more water. I'm wondering what, what's your thinking on that? Do you think we have done a really bad job of communicating or is it something else going on? I think the, the basis for, for good communication is, is trust. Um, and it's two parties that trust what each other is saying. The way that the Murray-Darling Basin process rolled out um, burnt a lot of connections and created a lot of distrust. Um, and so I think we didn't have the basis for good communication. There's some fantastic communication that's gone on. There's also some terrible communication that's gone on. We've all learned a lot about how to communicate these things. And as a scientist, you spend a lot of your time being trained in communicating in a particular language, which is science, uh, and, you know, it's hard to, to pull out of all that detail and content that you're interested in and extract those really pithy stories. And obviously, that's why conversations like this are important. Um, but I think communication was a variable quality, but I think it began against a backdrop of such dissension and partisan views that good communication wouldn't have helped necessarily. Now that we're rebuilding bridges and people are talking to each other again and we can explain things in a little bit more of a measured way and people are more willing to listen. I think the communication is really critically important. Um, and I think it's telling the stories of what benefits have been derived from environmental water already. And then almost leaving that hanging. To, if we had more water, if you get even more of those good news stories, um, rather than sort of taking a doom and gloom approach, the whole system's going to fall to its knees if we don't fix it. Well, that's, rather than that, let's say, well, with the relatively small amount of environmental water we've got, we can see there's really profound benefits. And we know that with even a little bit more, you might see some additional benefits. Um, and that's the sort of storytelling that I want to be engaged with because it's telling good news stories about the things we're doing and really um, creating a vision for people of how the ecosystem could look if we were willing to return more water to it. Yeah, look, I, I think you're, you're spot on. There's a great talk by Frances Frey that I often share with people, which is about trust. And she talks about us needing a mix of authenticity, logic and empathy. And, and certainly having lived through that change from the Commission to the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, we really lost some of that um, trust because everything was shaken up and the relationships weren't put first. And so people sort of felt that, they were, you know, they say trust can be um, can be quick to establish, uh, but once broken, takes a very long time to rebuild. Uh, what What's exciting you the most about the stage that we're at in our environmental flows 
journey, if you like, and our, our knowledge and, and now actually a lot more practical um, emphasis as well. We're actually doing it. I mean, we're actually considered world leaders. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that this is the most exciting place to be working on environmental flows in the world. Um, this program is uh, that we're involved in the, the monitoring, evaluation and research program at the basin scale, and then the programs at selected areas, particular catchments through the basin. Uh, it, it's reasonably well resourced. It's had some time to really find its feet. Uh, and what it's built most profoundly is a set of really strong relationships between water managers and scientists. Um, there used to sort of be this belief that, that applied management science worked by the fact that you did science, you wrote a paper, magic happened, and then it was applied in the field. And that is never the way that science works in terms of adaptive management. Actually, what you need is, as you're doing the science, there's a set of conversations that take place and you offer your best value advice. And sometimes it's definitive and sometimes it's not. Um, and you all collectively work towards a better system understanding. Um, and yes, papers come, but that's down the line and it's not very relevant to most managers who will never read them. Um, and so I'm really, yeah, I have so much respect for the scientists and managers, particularly at selected area scales, who just have achieved this level of trust and conversation where they pick up a phone and ask. And I've, you know, I've been cornered at meetings before and it's great. You know, water manager comes up to you and says, so if we put this much water down in spring, would that be better than putting down two small flows in summer? What do you reckon? And, you know, that, that's exactly the sort of questions we need to be asking. And sometimes it's, we don't know, let's try it and measure stuff. Um, sometimes it's like, my best guess is this. Some of us like, no, nah, we know. Someone's done that in the Guaida. Uh, and what I can tell you now is the two small flows is better than one big one. Um, so I think that the fact that we're at that point um, where scientists and managers are meeting regularly and talking is incredibly good. And it, we forget in Australia, I think, how unusual it is to have achieved that. Uh, and when you go overseas and go to conferences, people come up and go, how have you guys got so far? And we come back here, we spend a lot of time beating ourselves up about the fact that we haven't gone further. Mm, yeah, look, that's so true. I mean, I, I just stand back and, and um, you know, one of the great privileges of my position in working with scientists to get their information out there is just going, wow, this is amazing. I mean, I'm, I, at the moment, I'm, I got very excited about otoliths for a long time, which are the ear bones of fish and how they can tell you where the fish have been. And, you know, I know that's old hat now. So now I'm getting really into energetics and food webs. I really like that. So that, that's my latest, my latest thing. So, so in wrapping up, tell me what you're most looking forward to over the next year or so of this flow monitoring and evaluation research project that we're both working on. Look, I, I think seeing the next generation of stories coming out. Um, we've had some fantastic stories come out of the, the most recent cohort of work and, and we're just on the crux of hearing yet more stories. And the wonderful thing about that is that I don't actually know even what the best of those stories will be, but there'll be a scientist out there who's worked with a bunch of flow managers, uh, has found out something really fundamental about the way that water affects um, ecological values and is gonna tell me that story and I still get excited every time I get a story told to you by someone who really, really cares about it. And there's so many passionate scientists in this team who want to tell their stories. Um, and so I'm looking forward to the stories I haven't even heard yet. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Thank you, Ross. And um, for those listening, I'll put some details on the website about this new program of research called Flow Monitoring Evaluation Research. It's all about environmental flows in the Murray-Darling Basin. 
I'll look forward to talking to you soon and I hope you stay fit and well. Bye for now.